Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to Your Questions Answered. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by Michael Sidgwick from What Culture to answer your burning wrestling Twitter questions that you can send to us at What Culture WWE on Twitter. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, where we review Raw, SmackDown, NXT. What? Oh, AW Dynamite, AW Rampage, pay-per-views. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, though, joined by Michael Sidgwick, back by popular demand, this series that is your questions answered. Yay! And let's dive straight into it, Michael Sidgwick, with a question here. Sometimes it's about the question, sometimes it's about the fact they put a picture of a dog on it, and sometimes it's because their name is Take Down Tony on Twitter. <laughs> Who says, uh, can Rampage work in its current slot, being pre-taped, etc.? What options would be better? How would you save AEW Rampage, Michael Sidgwick? Before I delve into that, I would just like to say that I really enjoy recording this specific podcast. And the reason why, and yes, this will scan as a brag, but I get a lot of really nice interaction from Mm -hmm. my followers on Twitter. I get asked a lot of questions multiple times per day. I genuinely don't have time to answer them all. So this is a nice outlet to be able to do precisely that. It's not that I don't appreciate your follow or your support or your interactions. It's just there aren't enough hours in the day. Mm -hmm. The rampage situation. Are you worried about it? I mean, I'm, I'm not necessarily worried about the ratings because as far as I can tell, the worst rating, which follows a lot of deteriorating ratings, which itself is not a great trend, My understanding of the TV industry, the time slot, the expectations is that even the lowest was an acceptable demo rating. It isn't remotely like it was in the first week. I remember the first week was so great. Omega, Christian Cage, the Britt Baker finally breaking the hex almost of the run and the wonderful short-form story between Miro and Fuego Del Sol. It was a virtually flawless TV program. And the take was, Jesus Christ, it's better than Dynamite. (laughs) By the end of the year, if they can maintain this quality, it will be a more critically revered, more anticipated show than Dynamite. This decidedly has not happened. The crowds are exhausted. Um, The backdrop just, you can feel like a hum almost of, oh, I want to invest in this, and I'm going to invest in this, but I'm not white hot for it. Um... The formula has revealed itself to be a little bit cheeky, if I'm being perfectly honest, in which one great match happens or one major star like CM Punk is in the match. And then the rest of the stuff is, I've referred to it before as sub-dark elevation. On a logistic, from a logistic perspective, it makes zero sense to tape live from a separate arena 
because the costs involved in running a live wrestling production don't necessarily make it worth it. Mm-hmm. What they are doing now is doing a similar taping schedule to the to that which they did before, but earning a rights fee as a result. That's all very boring to me. Mm-hmm. And from a pro wrestling fan perspective, it's a bit of an underwhelming experience on the whole. From a pro wrestling business perspective, it's I don't want to say it's money for nothing because a lot of care goes into it. A lot of top stars appear on it. And, you know, it's not low effort content. It's just quasi-doomed content in terms of how the fans are going to receive it, etc., etc. Um, I would if I'm Tony Khan, I would continue I would ride out this recent take that oh, it's not what was on the brochure. If I'm a fan, and I am, I understand everyone's concerns. There's no easy answer. Either you spend an inordinate amount of money for no guarantee of a significantly better ratings return, considering that there is no data historically to suggest that there's an appreciable difference Mm. between live and taped content. I think they ride it out and wait until something has to change to preemptively change something. Um, AEW, time and time again, has proven itself very adept at playing the long game. They do not burn through matches. Big matches are preserved for TV specials and or pay-per-view events. I think that there's an impulsive take that something needs to change I'm not there yet. You'd have to change your costing, your budget, or your long-term booking patterns to accommodate for a pretty radical shift in the direction of Rampage. I don't necessarily think, over the long term, either of those are worth it. So my answer is, don't change a thing, dot, 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 yet. Do you think the time is sort of a, a bit of a blessing and a curse? Not the time slot, obviously. 10 p.m. on Friday is what it is. It's not going to change, and they're certainly not going to try and go head-to-head with SmackDown if they've got any brains in their heads. But one hour... I'm not. This is not me suggesting Rampage should be two hours, by the way. But one hour is such a brilliant, short, sharp shock of a, a wrestling show. Now, obviously, we're in Britain, so I'm not going to be staying up till all hours on a Friday night to watch this. But I think even if it was on at 10 p.m. on a Friday, I might be tempted to just go, you know what, I'll just catch up in the morning. Do you think that's this the sort of thing that's getting reflected now amongst American viewers? Um, potentially, potentially. It's DVR a big... in it, basically, because that won't count towards it. I mean, I've got no concept of this anymore, but back before I was not married with two kids, Friday night was invariably a social night for me. Yeah. Um, so I can see that aspect to it. Ultimately, Dark Elevation is taped before Dynamite and Rampage is taped after Dynamite. By the time that the crowd, by the time everyone arrives at Rampage, everyone's a bit exhausted. Dark Elevation at this point, the stat padding and the sudden, oh, this act is on a run on Dark dark Elevation. This was a problem in terms of how much it felt earned on Dynamite well before Rampage was implemented. I would solve the Dark Elevation problem before I solved the Rampage Mm -hmm. problem. That is one approach I would take because a lot of meaningless, effectively meaningless wins. It's nice that they go to the effort, but these wins are largely meaningless. Um, I would sort out that problem because the whole idea is you want Rampage to feel, taped or otherwise, 
like an event that everyone's up for. At the minute, I think the key problem is the atmosphere is infectious because the atmosphere of Dynamite is one of its key USPs, especially in contrast to how dead these WWE crowds are in 2021. I think there's two options that they can take before they consider anything wild, like changing the long-term booking philosophy or running it live, which again, I keep needing to point out, there is no data to suggest that it makes much of a difference ratings-wise. I would resolve the dark elevation problem because it feels like a lot of stat padding for no tangible mm. like purpose. Also, I would bring forward the planned trios title because that specific genre will wake up any crowd if it's worked well enough. And the fact that it's a title match means theoretically people will be more interested in tuning in. The titles are still draws on AEW TV if you look at the granular quarter hour data. So yeah, those are the two routes I would take. Uh, sticking with AEW, uh, Wrestling News NI says, who do you think will be the first person to beat CM Punk and Brian Danielson? Oh, I would beat... Danielson first. Mm-hmm. Um, CM Punk, I feel, still has the potential to be a proper, proper tippy-top guy on the level of Kenny Omega. And I know that sounds ridiculous because Danielson is Danielson, but I still think CM Punk's story is the one, given that he was away for seven years. An incredibly hard question. So the question was, um, who should be the first to beat Punk and the first person to beat Danielson? Yeah, I'm, I've taken... It doesn't have to be the person to beat both of them. Just taken in each individual person who should be the first person to, to lay them out for the count of three. Or submit them, I suppose. MJF. Yes. Should be the guy to beat CM Punk. Oh, never sure. Oh. That goddamn grudge rivalry. I still think MJF versus Danielson would be a better match and a better dynamic, but in terms of a better story with the promo duels, with everything else, like I've loved the idea of the line saying, of MGF saying to CM Punk, how do you have the gall to say that you're the best in the world? Like that's right there on a yeah. plate. MGF undoubtedly will have way better stuff than that. And MGF at this point, if you look at what he did with Pillman Jr., the match itself was not great, but he, in the build, made an undercard TV match feel more heated than the vast majority of WWE pay-per-view main events. Like, he's got it, and... You've got to also lean on the Colt Cabana stuff as well, potentially. Yeah, absolutely. I saw you walk around the back, and you were in a bit of a hurry to get past someone. Like, all this kind of stuff. As you, We've just pulled two things out of our asses. Yeah. So, yeah, MGF to be punk. And that could play into... Well, actually, might get into a question about it later, but that could be one of MGF's first world title defences, and also, not to go full WWE, but imagine the thing of like, oh my God, this is it. Punk's going to be crowned AEW world champion. All of our dreams are going to, oh no, they've been ruined. I'm not saying Punk should never win the world title, but I'd love MJF to defend the title against him and never shut up about it. Yes, absolutely 1 million percent. As for Danielson, man, I really don't know. I have no earthly idea, in fact, who first beats him. Because the idea is, it's a luxury of having so many top stars that you want to preserve because half of these top stars have barely been in the promotion. I know it's a bit of a WWE match, but Cole, perhaps? Like Omega drew with him. Omega's probably eventually going to lose to him. We could always kick him in the bollocks and then pin yeah. him. 
You could absolutely 1 million percent do that. But I love, the, yeah, as you point out, the idea of Cole beating him before Omega does, even through nefarious means, means that there's another layer to add to this incredibly slow burn Cole Omega dynamic. Uh, that just reminded me there for a great question I saw from Mohammed Surti, who says, Is there a need for AW to catch up viewers on ongoing storylines via more video packages? Dynamite is an exceptional show for long term viewers, but there's an argument that it can be less open for newer viewers. Please, not, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting repeated recaps, WWE style. I just thought I'd mention that there because. You and I often talk in fantasy book, along with Hamlet, about the sort of breadcrumbs that we've seen with the Hangman Page storyline, and as this is developing with the the Cole and the Bucks and the Elite, and I've got a really good question to come about that a little bit later on as well. But that is something because we watch it religiously and we analyse it as we probably would, even if it wasn't our job, but specifically for our job. Do you think there's a need to to maybe catch more people up? Because I think I feel like the Road to does a bit of that as well. Yeah, it does. There's always a danger in that if you want to chase the biggest audience imaginable, it might be a tactic they can start to deploy. I don't necessarily find it difficult to keep up with personally. I can understand that not everyone's as bright as I am. <laughs> and that there are... Because I see complaints, and that's the thing you never know if they're in bad faith or not. That's the problem. Ultimately, the core problem in terms of trying to get the... trying to measure the temperature of this audience and online of what they think would benefit the show or what prevents them from watching it. You don't know if it's just some WWE tosser saying things. So some of them are really quite, uh, I'm loath to use the word clever. Some of them are very sly about their criticisms. It's like concern trolling. Like My favorite is when they pretend to be an AW fan. So they go like, well, you know, the, the rain for Rampage comes out this week. Well, as an AW loyalist, I've got to say, worrying times uh, for yeah. Tony Khan. Are you looking their avatars, Randy Orton or something? This is the thing. So you've got no earthly idea. I personally don't struggle. My, my take is that the WWE tribalists are not really wanting to watch AEW because they can't keep up with it. They are just pretending that they can't keep up with it to make it look bad, but look make it look more convincing. As I said, they're very sly. At the same time, I'm not trying to be a dick here, but there are certain things that I've detected in the storytelling that aren't necessarily everyone's going crazy for online. Very, very subtle stuff. But at the same time, I also read stuff that I've not picked up on that other people, and it's like it's a really nice community of mm. people saying, oh, this breadcrumb's great, or do you think it's going to lead there, or did you notice this person's facial expression in the background of a promo? I don't think they should sacrifice the key, one of the key ways in which AEW is bonded with its fan base is that they treat their intelligence with respect. Wins and losses matter when they're on Dynamite, not Dark. And it doesn't matter if they were like staggered between weeks and months, like mm. people still remember. I think if you look at how hot those crowds are, how receptive to, they are to look at the way that they respond to Hangman Page and look at how subtle and long term that arc is. When I see those fans respond to that specific story with that much, like, with that loud in emotional investment. I personally disagree with that, but I think it's a very good question to ask. There's a, you know, he's not suggesting that moments ago, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I lived moments ago. <laughs> yeah. It was three minutes before, 
break, maybe there's a middle ground, but my gut feeling is no. I was going to say that. I think there is a middle ground. I, th- I think because as someone who watches uh, UFC, I very rarely go into watching one of their big pay-per-views without watching the Countdown series, which usually covers two or three of the biggest fights and also covers them training for it and what have you, but also references. I'll take Lola Diaz very recently, and that gave you a full history of, like, these two fought many, many, many years ago, and then this is what they've been doing since, and this is how they've come back together, that sort of thing. What I also would say is, as much as you and I pop for these excellent breadcrumbs and callbacks and what have you, I'd argue that a not not a non-AEW fan, but a fan who's just got into AEW can still appreciate that match with no knowledge of what's gone on before. Like, go back to Hangman Page holding on to the legs of the Young Bucks, for example, to cost them an FTR and all that. That obviously was played out quite a lot throughout that saga. But if you had no knowledge of that, you'd probably still appreciate it for what it is. You still sort of know that there's a friendship there between the Young Bucks and Hangman Page. And then maybe if it's called back, it matches or what have you. I don't think necessarily it plays into it. For example, Page and Omega, when it eventually comes together, Page trying to get out or stay out of the one-winged angel is a story in and of itself, let alone what we know maybe that's come prior to that. Does that make sense? I totally get what you're saying. It's just I don't want them to compromise something that's working to incredibly resonant effect with the audience that they have, which is huge. One thing I will say before we move on is that maybe it's worth, you know, one of my criticisms of Dynamite overall is that they shoot loads of angles to the point where, if anything, it feels like obligatory Oh, we need to remind the fans that this one's happening. Let's just do a backstage attack here, here, and here. And it's just like, I get it, they're feuding. And the more it happens, the more sort of wacky the world of AEW feels backstage. Everything's getting interrupted. Everything's getting attacked. It all, if you think about it, tally it all up, it all feels a little bit fake and contrived. If anything, instead of doing angle, 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 if they sprinkle some recaps, yeah, which will help people catch up who haven't been watching, and at the same time, avoid some obligatory filler backstage beatdowns and promo interruptions instead. So maybe it could actually benefit the the immersion and the flow of the show to do mm. the recap and it could serve a dual purpose. But I, I often say how sensational these road twos are just for dynamites. I'd have a half hour, hour long road to full gear because, yeah, even if you have being there for every step of the journey, reliving it as the build gets towards Saturday night. Get in. But these are on television as well. The countdown specials yeah. are on television. But then again, television itself is a big revenue driver, so maybe they should... The big issue as well is that anything that's in the can, pre-recorded, vignettes, music videos, pre-recorded interviews, instantly people think they can switch off. Ratings patterns do indicate that anything live, as in presented live, live, or presented live, but it's, re- re- it's pre-recorded. Anything recappy sees a viewership decline. That's, it annoys me, that, because I, I remember, like, the glory days of NXT when they put on, like, a prime target. I, was like, oh, I used to love them. And yeah. then you'd look, and then it'd be too, like, 400,000. You're like... But like you say, if it, it, they'd rather see two people doing something live than the best production quality... Know, recaps you've ever seen. For me, it's just absolutely incredible. That's something really intelligent 
is happening on TV, and I'm sorry if it has to be one way or the other, it's my way. Yes, I'd much rather that, and I moan often about SmackDown recaps, Raw recaps, or even just... I mean, no, that's not what the guy No, exactly, but yeah, I I think... I think there is a middle ground, but uh, I can understand where you're coming from. And I think there's a valid point as well for, for newer fans. But hopefully, not to use a phrase that strikes fear into your heart, the law of AEW should be easy to, to access because I think, or I'd like to hope that there is an online community there that if you tweeted out saying, I don't really... You know, remember there was that big Twitter thread about Omega and Page? I think there's just stuff there that people can be find useful for that. And if you just reached out and said... Sorry, why is there this big issue between X and Y? I feel like people wouldn't be like, <laughs> gatekeeping or whatever yeah. it may be. they just hopefully open up to stuff like that. Absolutely. I do think the subtle storytelling works. Otherwise, you would not get those reactions that Hangman Page is getting. Uh, let's talk a little bit about WWE. Haley from Haddonfield, regular contributor at Gifted Pink on Twitter, says, uh, now that we're somewhat deep into it, do you think the Becky Lynch heel turn is working? More importantly, now that we've seen how it's played out, do you think turning her when they did was the right call? Uh, the whole thing's absolutely sucked. The whole thing, Genuinely, the whole thing's absolutely sucked. What's happened is that she's in one feud with Bianca Belair that has folded in uh, Sasha Banks. The problem is that WWE doesn't really book angles outside of contract segments they book matches with no finishes to build to matches and the whole thing's so deadening the whole thing feels not worthy of your investment until the sundays or the thursdays in the case of crown jewel Hmm. people in arenas don't seem to want to boo becky lynch even if the babyface shtick of early 2020 was growing tired i think they've mishandled the whole thing and the booking generally is so bad that it succumbs to everyone. Everyone succumbs to it, rather, other than Roman Reigns. Um, it just doesn't feel hot. It doesn't feel interesting. Cassie Mine back to November 2019. Becky Lynch, bloodied nose, about to wrestle Ronda Rousey, but was cruelly taken away from it. Like, that was hot. That had buzz. That was the epicenter of pro wrestling conversation. None of this comeback has sort of affected people on the same level remotely. Her performances are not great. It's a bit one-dimensional heel stuff. The booking just feels like, right, okay, I know there's not going to be a finish. I think the whole thing is absolutely sucked. And maybe a babyface turn wouldn't be much better at this point. But that's just my nihilism talking. You're more forgiving of WWE. Yeah. Tell me, do you feel the same things that you've ever felt about Becky Lynch in 2021 as he did in 2019. No, I, I feel a real sense of frustration around this, and I've got mixed emotions about it all because I thought it was an, an admirable, admirable attempt what they did at SummerSlam because it happened. Twitter exploded. We're doing the live stream and stuff, and I was like, you know what? Give this time. Let's give it till Friday because if this is the catalyst for a story, I'm kind of okay with it. And I was in the immediate aftermath, and I almost also gave them a pass for then the subsequent. What was the Pay-per-view that came after that. Uh, the the following Extreme Rules one, where then Sasha gets involved. Because I said, like, oh, there's you know, the intrigue around SummerSlam. It's like, oh, right, well, you've now got Bianca Belair and Becky Lynch and Sasha Banks. I don't know how they've botched this so badly. And they may well recover it. I doubt that they will, but they may well, you know, do something sensational next Thursday at Crown Jewel. I think my thing is, looking back, very easy with the benefit of hindsight, of course, is a long term book, you don't need hindsight. Yeah. Is like you say, is just thinking 
logically, she comes back, and, you know, maybe it was a bit of a panicked thing, maybe it was a sudden thing because of whatever was taking Sasha out of SummerSlam, but, like, she comes back in August, okay? On this card, you've got a very sort of played-out Nikki A.S.H., Rhea Ripley, Charlotte Flair thing, eventually Charlotte I'd just go the like the Daniel Bryan route, but really condense it up. So if you're going to have her come back, and this is sort of you know very easy to say because Sasha's doing other stuff and what have you, do do Bianca Belair versus I was going to say not anyone because you can't have her versus her versus Carmella at, at SummerSlam, but do her have her do something. Have Charlotte be the champion on Raw, right? You're planning ahead for this Becky Lynch return. Have Becky be the surprise opponent for her. Have her win in a either a long match or a short match or whatever it may be. And Charlotte can say I wasn't ready or whatever. And then if she's desperate to do this heel turn, have her turn the moment the draft comes around or something like that, you know, around this time of year, rather than immediately. Because it's like... Bringing, it was like bringing back Daniel Bryan and then turning him heel immediately. It just would not have worked. It worked within the scope of, oh, my God, this is Daniel Bryan's shot becoming WWE champion again, and he's resorted to this. But if you'd have done that on the moment, if he'd have come, if he'd have come out and said, like, I've finally been cleared by doctors, and they didn't do the whole WrestleMania 34 story, if instead he'd said, oh, great news, guys, I'm cleared by doctors, and then the world champion had just come out and gone, Congratulations, let's have a match right now. And he just hoid him in the balls and won it. It just wouldn't have worked, would it? No, not at all. Absolutely not at all. Uh, the fans don't really want to boo her at all. And the thing is, who's going to work? That's the thing. If you, the more you concentrate on and really develop your thoughts on something pertaining to WWE, you realize it's so poorly booked that there are simply no answers to the questions you most want answered. I'm sorry, like... Who else could Becky Lynch have worked with as a babyface and a little grudge rivalry? Gauge the temperature of how over she was, and if she wasn't that over or making that much of a difference to the needle, then you can turn her. They don't book anyone well on SmackDown. She couldn't have had a rivalry that was credible, that was dramatic. The whole thing sucks. Next question. It's Sorry, Haley. I know you're asking these questions in good faith, but no, it's, I think it's a fair assessment, and like. You know, I, I berate them for not long-term storytelling and what have you. But, like, when people were booking Becky to return at the Rumble, and I went, she literally gave birth a month ago, yeah. guys. Let's pump the brakes a little bit. Maybe she'll give me back in time for one, two, three, four, four. SummerSlam. Surely you go. I mean, in my head, I'd have her do something like that, win the world title. Maybe you don't have to turn her right now. You, know what, you don't have to try and merge the storylines of what's going on right now. You have her retain for a bit. Then in your head, if you're long-term booking, this is this is an impossibility. I realise what I'm talking about here. But in your head, you go, right, well, we've got the Queen's Crown tournament there. Why don't we have Shayna win that as a heel? Rematch Becky versus Shayna. Shayna gets, I know this is me fantasy booking, but Shayna gets the better of Becky. Becky tries to win it back and can't do it. Becky turns heel en route to WrestleMania, and then you can have whatever match we're clearly heading towards on the uh, WrestleMania 38 card. Well, Bourne, you're a wacky ginger podcaster, and you're doing a better job than Vince McMahon's doing. These things, honestly, it's just barely worth considering. And honestly, like as a, as a wider point, WWE's social enga uh, engagement down, Twitter buzz down. I know it's always skewed by your own timelines, but like, no one cares about this anymore. No. Should we move on? Yeah. <laughs>
Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well-lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Before we go any further, though, this podcast is brought to you by Rocket Money. Do you ever feel like money is just flying out of your account and you've got no idea where it's going? Well, it's all those subscriptions. I mean, think about it. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it is endless. I'm guilty of this, so I used Rocket Money to help me find out what subscriptions I'm actually spending money on, and it was more shocking than a wrestling betrayal. You see, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in cancelled subscriptions. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. That's rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Well, let's get a question next from Matt Reigns. Hey! Um, Great guy. At what culture WWE is always, if you want to get in touch with us for anything like this. Matt says, hi, yes, Matt Reigns again, Sidgwick mega fan. What do you both predict will be the biggest wrestling headline at the end of the year 2022? Love you, brothers. Very, very jealous of the Top Rope Brewery beer crates, by the way. Just a quick word on that, by the way. We are doing... Uh, the thing again with Top Rope Brewing, where we offer you 12 beautiful craft beers for £45, free delivery. Unfortunately, again, this is only offered to our fans here in the UK. Uh, but if you go and search for Top Rope Brewing and look for the uh, What Culture Survivor Beeries crate, it's to celebrate Survivor Series and Top Rope's uh, fifth birthday. Like I said, 12 delicious craft beers for just £45. And then check out if you enter the code Here's why you get yourself some free delivery as well. So make sure you go and check that out. And US fans, we will be hopefully doing something with you guys in the future. But to repeat Matt's question, uh, biggest wrestling headline at the end of the year 2022. I'm going to have to phrase this quite sensitively because the man recently had a cardiac event. Yes. And this might change everything for him when he makes a full recovery. And I'm speculating here. I don't know anything about Triple H. I don't think anyone knows much about the situation in general. Who knows? Maybe when he makes his full recovery, you'll realize, you know what? There are more important things in life. And I'm not even saying that the goddamn professional stress he's been under has like led to this medical situation. Um, so I'm really trying to not be a dick about it. Yeah, we're putting that to one side. Callous about yeah. it. Prior to it, it was felt that Triple H's 
scope of influence had just diminished to a quite incredible degree when you consider how powerful he once was, how he was basically um, heir-elect to the entire WWE empire. And, you know, I, I genuinely don't want to kick the guy when he's down. Even though I'm not his biggest fan, and I'd be a hypocrite to suggest that mm. I suddenly am, but I just thought he's failed. His vision, his entire vision, the things grafted two decades of his, pretty much his entire wrestling executive career, everything he's built towards has just kind of been exposed to something that just didn't really work. And he tried to do something genuinely great, and for a while it was, that a lot of hardcore fans really wanted. NXT was that for a while, but it was always under WWE parameters, and I'm fascinated in a potential Paul Levesque shoot interview mm -hmm. where he comes out and says, I obviously wanted to do unscripted promos. I obviously wanted to make it feel a little bit less corporate and packaged together with videos and mandated entrance poses and, you know, shocked face kickouts. Like, it was just the WWE playbook that I had to adhere to. Or if he just thought, well, that's the way to do it. What I'm arriving at is that he tried to do something great. He was working under WWE parameters and through not... I'd love to know how much at fault he was, mm. but I don't think he could have turned around to Vince and said, oh, by the way, like, if you look at something like being the elite, like, people are really into, like, their own promos, their own character development. Can we have our guys doing that? Absolutely not. There's a WWE way of doing things. Ultimately, it's failed. AEW's exposed the fact that it was not that drastic an alternative to WWE in the end. He's been demoted on a corporate level. So the whispers suggest his job title certainly changed. I remember doing a video about this. That I think you you wrote the editorial for around yeah. it, and you sort of explaining it all to me of the job title changing and the people getting in Vince's ear, the John Laurinaitis yeah. and the Bruce Pritchards of this world. Absolutely. If you look at like the elimin Elimination Chamber match from Raw this year, no NXT presence on it whatsoever. Um, there weren't even bungling call-ups. They were barely even presenting the call-ups on TV. It all felt very late 2000s with McIntyre, Miz, Lashley, Reigns on top of the card. Ultimately, his entire life's work, and I'm not saying that it's retconned as bad, I'm just saying it's kind of failed. The vision, the um, global localization, NXT Japan didn't work. Attempts to sort of collaborate with Mexican promotions to make an NXT Mexico, like none of this worked at all. And my big news headline of the end of 2022 is one way or the other, one a sad way, one a more, oh, that's really good and gospy way, like he's fallen out with Vince and decided, this, I'm leaving. Or he just might think it's not worth coming back to what works for the sake of my health. I think Triple H is gone by the end of next year. But I don't want people, again, I must reiterate, to tie that to, oh, wouldn't it be great if he has a heart attack on his way out and goes, absolutely not. I'm just saying I thought it was heading in that direction for a while. And in fact, every prediction video we do at the start, at the end of the year for the next year, mm -hmm. I felt this has been coming for a long time. So I'm you, sticking with this take. I was going to say, well, a couple of years ago or a year ago, it all blurs into one, you said there was going to be a big old blow-up between these two. I think that was your prediction for 2019, 2020, something like that. You might even suggest that it's happened. And yeah. If you look at the passive-aggressive rebrand of NXT 2.0, well, maybe it's true already. So you think uh, Triple H will be gone from WWE by the end of 2022 as a man who, uh, oh, quite correctly, predicted CM Punk's return to wrestling. I'm not sure if I've mentioned that before. I am, I am going to... You're an absolute dog. 
I didn't say it like that. Oh, okay. Don't put intonation into my mouth. Am I your dog? You're a hound. Okay. <laughs> um, I think The Undertaker will return to the wrestling ring by the end of 2022 at some point. A lot there's, of people have suggested... There's treatments in Colombia that can help this sort of thing these days. The thing. A lot of people have suggested that he may well, and this could well be the case, he may well headline the 2022 Hall of Fame class, WrestleMania being in Texas and all that sort of thing. Look... I said this from the moment he retired at Survivor Series. I'm not suggesting that there's going to be some spectacular matches that he's going to come back to. Hell no. But we watched that Boneyard match and said he's got five years left in him, basically. And I just feel, you know, a a bit like Drew McIntyre's world title reign. You can't really have it with no one there. I don't think you can have a retirement with some I mean, he's, bloody... He's retired about five freaking times, so... With some midi, you know, electric playing his theme and a few of the boys coming out and disappearing before Vince McMahon introduces him. I just don't think it's that definitive. And if someone like Shawn Michaels, who had such a perfect retirement, can be tempted back by all the money in the world, and I'm not suggesting that it will be money that tempts him back, I think The Undertaker is still going to chase that, and I know we saw it on that documentary of his, is still going to chase that one last great match that he can, ironically, hang, hang his hat on and say, there we go, lads. And whether that be a cinematic match or uh, whether that be... I don't want to see any one of those again. Just a uh, just some sort of grand match that he can pass the torch to someone else. I, I, don't, I don't think he's done, basically. Sting has got six years on The Undertaker. At 62, The Undertaker's 56, and he's still kicking ass and taking names on TNT. So if anything, The Undertaker's a bitch worse than Sting if he doesn't come back. Uh, All Elite Leo 63 uh, has clearly bugged the What Culture office because it says, who do you think should win the AEW Eliminator Tournament? Uh, And who else do you think should be in the bracket as a whole? My pick would be Miro. Him going on a tear in the tournament would certainly re-establish him after the loss to Sammy and provide Hangman difficult first defense there's a pasty back in the what what culture office for this isn't there yes we are going to bet a pasty which to our non-uk based listeners is um congealed meat (laughs) packaged in pastry Pastry, and it's more delicious than it sounds i like the miro idea i've virtually got the exact same idea except with a different guy Mm -hmm. the idea being that miro is not going to be a guy like um a John Moxley or a Kenny Omega who can headline multiple AEW pay-per-views is a tippy-tippy-tippy-top guy. He can, however, headline one, be sufficiently built as a credible challenger, and I think the guy to do it with is Malachi Black. Um, on a character level, Malachi Black is trying to corrupt the Nightmare family. He could do something, do some great angle-based story-driven television with a hangman page to malic- manipulate him, to make him feel the self-doubt and the anxieties all over again. I think the character work between the two of them will be great. I think if he goes undefeated, having won the title eliminator, and then do it either on the first TNT special mm-hmm. or even Revolution, but I'm thinking the, the first January 2022. Oh, TBS special, sorry. TBS, TBS, not yeah. the still on TNT. Ah, okay. They're on TNT, so it's complicated. Dynamite is going to TBS. Rampage was going to go to TBS, but it's staying on TNT. Right. And the quarterly specials are also going to be on TNT. Malachi Black can work 
Hangman Page and be his first defense. And the beauty with the Malachi Black is he is really over, really creative, and he could just as easily work a grudge program with someone because he's an ideas man, as so many in AEW are. Having said that, I do think Malachi Black versus Sammy Guevara, the TNT title has got this really nice sort of feel as something like it can be the rehab awesome WWE guys who never got the push title. <laughs> Mr. Brody Lee, Miro, Malachi Black could be the guy to take it off Guevara. Um, I do love the idea of a Malachi Black hangman page storyline. So my pick for the tournament is Malachi Black. Uh, uh, Leo, you'll be pleased to know your pick matches with Andy Murray. Uh, Sidge, as you mentioned there, you picked Malachi Black. Adam Cleary has picked Adam Cole. And I think, because I'm biased and I also love to ruin people's dreams, I think it should be MJF. And I think he should immediately take the title off Hangman Page at the first opportunity, basically. Um, in terms of other people, I mean, you're spoiled for choice for that tournament, it's aren't you? It's just everyone's so over. It's just, I just was thinking there, like, who else could we have in that tournament alongside, let's just say we have those four names, and it's like, Danielson, if you want it, Punk, if you want it, Jungle Boy, if you want it, Sammy Guevara, if you want it, like, Ethan Page, maybe he could have a little bit of a something there. You know, the the, the possibilities are ridiculous, aren't they, in yeah. terms of stacking this tournament with people and intriguing developments, just but like you could have done with King of the Ring, but anyway. I'm it's, it's everyone's over. It's like 1998 again, but good. Uh, this actually links to a question we got from Tyler Holloway. I'll do a bit of a speed round in a minute for you. He says, yes. Uh, for the AW World title, I have the next champs being Hangman, MJF, CM Punk, Omega, and then Danielson. Who do you think the next few champions will be? We've sort of discussed this before, haven't we? Yes, so I want to keep my thoughts brief as much as I appreciate the question. MJF to beat Hangman Page would be absolutely great because the start of the promotion... Like I described it in 2019. Jesus Christ, how much has changed since then? MGF at double or nothing, like the rock Billy Gunn Hangman Page. Like his promo at his expense, it was amazing. Hangman Page was not there yet. He needed to craft this great struggle saga before fans really, really connected with him. MGF can go back and just use that as a bit of a meta way to approach it. Like, watching Hangman Page getting the beat out by the pinnacle, he can go back to the FTR thing to build it on television, like Hangman Page and John Silver versus FTR. He can finally get one over on them because the big master plan made him feel, and I'm quoting here the, the character's line, head to toe like poison, and then you get the MGF match, which would be big because MGF has been so well built and booked and preserved that that pay-per-view match, I would definitely go into it thinking... You know, there's actual doubt cast over this outcome. And I think MGF is absolute world champion caliber. Absolute world champion caliber. Beyond that, Danielson or Punk. Mm -hmm. Probably contradicts something I said earlier in the podcast, but there's just, there's so much available to them. And They've it, given themselves so much to work with. A name I forgot to mention, uh, you know, you've not even mentioned Cole in amongst those names there. Um, but uh, a name I forgot to mention as part of the Eliminated Tournament conversation as well, who would undoubtedly improve it. Imagine if it went Hangman, MJF, CM Punk, and you've got all the other options again. You've got Danielson, you've got uh, Face Omega, you've got you know Heel Moxley. But what if it went Hangman, MJF, CM Punk, 
Darby Allen. Darby Allen defeating yes. CM Punk in a nice sort of because they love that sort of thing, and it, it makes a lot of sense as well in terms of him learning and developing just like he did against Cody. Yeah, absolutely. But the the, the potential is there. The fact that we're not going. Uh, I suppose you could put it on Marco's stunt for a bit. He could, you know, I love him. I love. I often use him as a sort of punching bag here, but you know what I mean by that. In terms of, there's an argument to be made very easily for the next five, ten champions, and we can space that out in the next two years or the next ten years for me. But yeah, very exciting time to watch AW. Let's do a bit of a speed round. I'll ask you a few questions here. Uh, Aaron says. Would you rather watch Newcastle lose six times to Sunderland again or watch Raw again from the last year? <laughs> I've got zero emotional investment in Newcastle United Football Club, nor have I got any emotional investment in WWE Raw. So this is possibly, you twat, the worst question. The lesser I've... of two evils here. He's the bigger of two evils, this guy. <laughs> um... Look, one will be shorter. But at the same time, and my wife's one. Oh God, the Mackums are the worst, man. Mackums are the worst. <laughs> uh, how many roars is it? It just says, uh, roar, watch Roar again from the last year. Let's say 52. Here's the thing. I would get content out of the roars. Mm. So I would... Do that. Shout out to Aaron, by the way, who says it's been a season ticket holder since 2014 for Newcastle. Oh, I mean, he deserves he deserves something to good come off the back of it. Although I'm not sure where they're headed is that case just yet. I uh, I Ron 17 regular contributor says who are the most underrated workers in AW at the moment? Sean Spears all day every day. The thing with AEW's roster is that the vast majority of them are rated fairly because they are so overwhelmingly over. About 90% of this roster is so over. Sean Spears, and I'll keep this brief, I praise two things. One, he does a titty dance. That's, <laughs> that's always awesome. Two, the best two moments of Stadium Stampede with the Chris Jericho MGF stuff and the best, realistically, was the um, Sean Spears, Sammy Guevara, Stuff at the end of the match, yeah. and when they had that chair room brawl, if you like, <laughs> Sean Spears put himself in position to allow Sammy Guevara to do his awesome stunt work, if you like, on the stairs. His feeding of Sammy Guevara or to Sammy Guevara was impeccable. Sean Spears. Uh, A.H.G. says, uh, for Cedric, I wondered for a while, what are your thoughts on Okada in general? Uh, for me, he's on my Mount Rushmore, one of my all-time favourites, but I don't see him his name much in the discussion for best ever. He's certainly one of the best ever, in my opinion. He's not on my Rushmore, but he's in my top ten, like, easily. I've had so much joy watching Okada's matches. I think the reason why his profilers tape it off is because New Japan's has overall mm -hmm. it's uh, I can barely do the content because they won't let us use images without being total dicks about it so mm -hmm. there's uh, there's no inclination on the part of western wrestling analysts to cover and keep up with New Japan I feel like once you've seen the very best of New Japan pro wrestling the other four and three quarter star 40 minute matches they have less purpose than ever. Mm -hmm. But specifically on Okada, Kazuchika Okada can build a match like nobody else. 
the best take I have on a corner, the best thing about him is that for the first five minutes, it's the slowest match you've ever seen in your life. The last five minutes are the most electrifying match you've ever seen in your life. And the reason why is he is so slow in his methodical control periods at the start that when the match unfolds and the fire-up spots happen for the challenger and they start to really go toe-for-toe and near-fall and reversal and reversal, because he's done that work in the five minutes in the opening phase, it feels like they are gradually denting and denting and denting his armour. He's just one of the best architects in pro wrestling history. Uh, very quickly, not a question that we've actually see, received directly, but I've seen a few of these floating around. Questions about where Hamflet is. So I thought I'd just very quickly deal with it. It's a private family matter that he's off dealing with. We are pleased to report it is good news, but he's been taking some time off to deal with that. He will be returning soon. But yeah, if people are wondering if he's okay, he's fine dealing with some family stuff. But thankfully, uh, he and his family are in a lot better place than they were a couple of weeks ago. He'll be coming back, hopefully, next week if you were concerned about that. Uh, Jason A's, penultimate question for you here, Sige. Right, when was Sidgwick's most recent visit to Roast Potato City? (laughs) 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 For people wondering, that is you talking about uh, parboiling potatoes on the Raw review, I think it was? Yes. I was talking about my tactics. You know what? I've not had a rules take in a while. I've recently, in fact, experimented with a Nigella Lawson recipe. She's laminated. Good job. Shut up, man. You know what I was talking about and you made it dirty. She has a recipe for what's called salt and vinegar potatoes, where instead of parboiling the potatoes, you steam them for 30 minutes. Okay. Toss them in oil. Don't do another joke. You crisp them up nice for 40 minutes. You bash them with a fork mm-hmm. midway through that 40 minutes so that they start to get the, uh, the crust on them, the crunch. And then when they're out of the oven, you douse them in salt and vinegar. So you get a salt and vinegar crisp slash roast potato hybrid. Wilborn, I can see your eyes lighting up. That's great. And not quite as good as you think. Oh. <laughs> so I'll be returning to uh, roast potato city imminently. <laughs> I was just worried there when you were talking about tossing and Nigella Lawson, you were going to refer to these nuts. Final question comes from Gav. <laughs> Says, could I've, we... I've, I've got a record of not being horny on main. I would like to preserve it. Thank <laughs> okay. you very much. Uh, Gav's final question. Great question. This I've been looking forward to seeing, hearing your answer to it. Says, could we eventually, probably not very soon, see Cole Books and Don, happy birthday to Don Callis, by the way, kick Kenny out of the elite, mirroring Cole and Bullet Club? Uh, down and out, Kenny is picked up by Hangman, leading to a rematch of Revolution 2020. Hang, ha- Kenny and Hangman versus Young Bucks, but not for the belts. What do you reckon? At this point in time, AEW, when you look at its roster, they've got Messi, Ronaldo, Ronaldinho, Fat Ronaldo, Vintage Alan Shearer, Hernan Crespo, Andrei Shevchenko, Lewandowski, all of them available to play up front. Who do you pick? Like, what? seriously, what narrative path do you take with all of these options? Because that's a great idea. It's already kind of happening. The Super Click have decided to start having trios matches together. They are literally kissing Adam Cole because they are so tight with him right now. As I said, at the end of All Out, Kenny Omega has peered over the top of that three-way kiss as if to symbolize visually, I'm on the outside of this, which gets people's uh, synapses firing, fantasy book and pen scribbling furiously. I love that idea. 
But at the same time, the future is in Adam Cole being the top babyface of this promotion. He could turn babyface well after this slow burn storyline with Omega concludes. I just want I've been wanting to see Adam Cole as a babyface <laughs> for so many years. You were invested in NXT. Absolutely. You know why? It's a fucking consistent wrestling analyst. That's why I think the money is in Adam Cole turning babyface. But the guy's, what, 32 years old? They say that the wrestler enters the wrestler's prime at like 35, 36. God, just do it all. Over that slow drip everything over 10 years. And if it's as good as the last three months, people will stick with it. And if you book them, more will come. And this is sort of relating back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of investment from AW hardcore fans. You know, we, you and I jump all over the moment. Adam Cole in a promo says, let's be honest, I'm, you know, the best guy here. I can eat beat Brian Danielson on, on my worst day and how that relates to him sort of subtly negging Kenny Omega in amongst all this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, there's so much fascination with where they can go with Adam Cole, Kenny Omega splintering off into Danielson. Look, do that. Then do an awesome Adam Cole two-year babyface run. We didn't even mention Adam Cole in the world title lineage. Like The problem, like, we've gone back and forth about the lineages or who should win the tournaments and all the rest of it. And if we've ummed and odd, it's because they've got Kaka, Roy Keane, Lampard, Gerard, Scholes, yeah. Pirlo, Shelby when he wasn't a lazy bastard. <laughs> all in that midfield. They've got that. They've got... Terry, Ferdinand, Vidic, Jonathan Woodgate, who was the best of the lot and he was cursed by injuries. They've got all on the defence. They've got the best squad ever. How can I fantasy book this? I can't. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's spoilt for choice. Jonathan Woodgate, here's a take for the football fans out there, is the best English central defender of all time, but you don't get this because you didn't watch him live at St. James like I did and he didn't have the career he should have because of his uh, various injuries. Jonathan Woodgate on his day was better than anybody else, but his day sunset a little bit too quickly on it. And on that note, we will leave it. Uh, let us know your thoughts on everything we've discussed and any further Twitter questions. We will hopefully do this again very soon at What Culture WWE. Uh, watch, they can follow both of us. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at... Oh God, when we signed Jonathan Woodgate, <laughs> me and my best mate, Tom, uh, we were bouncing around six form. Like... This is it. This is the key. We've always been great under Bobby. Attacking, but, you know, leaky defense. Here's Woodgate at win the Prem. And he just couldn't stay. <sighs> I am Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at What Culture WWE, as I said. Make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts. If you're a fan of AW, we preview and review every single Rampage and Dynamite. It's all a bit skew whiff with it coming up this weekend, but we will do it nonetheless. So make sure you subscribe to get those podcasts as and when they are released. But for now, uh, this has been your questions answered. Thank you to everyone who sent us Twitter questions. Apologies if I didn't get to yours. Uh, we'll hopefully, as I say, do this again very soon. My thanks to Michael Sidgwick. Thank you for joining us and we will see you soon. <laughs>